0: in the 1500s the term salty dog became a nickname for an arnery sailor who had spent too much of his life out at sea long sea voyages can sometimes take a toll on mental health just ask the Harbaugh's right they just got back from a big cruise uh I'm not sure it's exactly the same they look very rested uh, but long sea voyages can sometimes take a toll on our mental health. Lack of sleep and bad nutrition, lack of exercise, stressful job demands, and close quarters can all cause people to become a little ornery, not to mention when someone gets scurvy. You thought I was joking when I said that's why i wear wearing my shirt. I've got oranges on my shirt today just to combat scurvy. So if someone calls you salty, that's not a compliment right if you heard that word thrown around if you are salty i had a couple people notice the title of the message today and tell me that their loved ones were being salty this morning Uh, but in a spiritual sense the bible gives us a different definition for how to be like salt we talked about this back in 2021 we did a series on paul's letter to Colossae. paul wanted to remind the church that jesus is better than everything And at the end of the book of Colossians, we see Paul encourage uh, this church to be witnesses for Christ and to let the gospel shape and frame their lives so the people could see Christ through them. Colossians 4, uh, verse 2 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer. Paul's talking to this church. He says, keep praying and, and to ask for this, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open uh, to us a door for the word, declare, to declare the mystery of Christ, an account of which I am in prison. And he says this, pray as we go, open doors, and that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Those are those that might not be believers yet, those that are outside the faith. He says, making best use of the time. And then here's what he says. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul is encouraging this church to pray as they go through the hardships of life and to remind them to thank God, even when things aren't great, for all that he's done and to constantly live in a place of gratitude. And next, Paul encourages them to pray for opportunities to tell people about Jesus. Why? Because it's good news. And you should want to be someone that gives people good news. I mean, you've ever had that before, right? Where it's like, man, I got to deliver some bad news to someone. Nobody likes to do that unless you're, you know, kind of insane. But if you are a normal person, you're excited when you have the opportunity to give good news. And you you certainly don't want to be the person that keeps good news a secret from those that good news can help. So Paul tells them to pray for the words to be able to explain and declare who Jesus is. And you need the Holy Spirit's help. It doesn't matter if you have the best presentation and you can have PowerPoint slides and everything. You can practice that presentation daily on how to tell people about Jesus. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't empower your witness, it won't go well. You need the Holy Spirit to provide clarity and wisdom for the right words and understanding on the other person's part. And it won't be easy. Paul says, doing what I am telling you to do landed me in prison. So not everybody will love it. You might get your feelings hurt. You might make a friendship a little bit awkward. But it is worth it to allow someone to know and have that opportunity to know Jesus like you do. And to tell people about how the gospel has changed you and how it can change them as well. So that's the, the question today. is When people see you, do they see Jesus? In the world we live in today... You have to have wisdom and discernment on how to talk to people about the things of God and to talk to them about the gospel. It's not as easy as it might have been in the past. That doesn't mean you pass on taking the opportunity. It means that you seek wisdom from God who will give it to you. Too often we try to wrestle people into admitting that we are right and that they are wrong. But that's not where it starts. It starts with them seeing that we are different, and that we care about people, and that Jesus is the reason why. Just being another person with another opinion doesn't change anybody's mind. Starting another fight on the internet because you're bored doesn't help anyone. It might actually hurt your witness. Talking about Jesus all starts with prayer, and the leading of the Holy Spirit, and knowing when to speak. And when to listen, and when to be bold, and to go, and when to be meek, and to be restrained. And always being humble, and asking God to tamp down that pride in you. And these verses challenge us to think of those outside the church, and outside the faith, and how to have wisdom to talk to them. There's an idea today that faith should be a private thing that you don't talk about. But when you're talking about how good Jesus is to you, that ought to be something that you're excited to share. But also remember that our words have weight, and our words mean a lot. And how we talk to and about those that are outside the faith says a lot about whether the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding us. I've heard so many Christians talk about people that aren't followers of Jesus in disparaging ways. That's not somebody that your heart is ready to talk to about how good Jesus is. And we hold them to a standard that we ourselves don't keep. And we disparage them and we put them down. And when people see you, do they see Jesus? Let's focus in on just verse 6. You probably heard that word salt in verse 6. It says, let your speech always be gracious. Always? Well, what about when people get on my nerves? What about when somebody cuts me off and I'm uh, tempted to yell a couple words out the window? I was at Kroger the other day and a man was uh, walking across the crosswalk. And I don't know what the car did, but he had a drink in his hand and he just threw it at the car. It was crazy. I would hate to know that that person went to our church, right? And they did. They're right there. No, I'm just kidding. No, I don't know who it was, but it was intense. It was like, man, what is going on? And You might not know this. If you ever worked in the food industry before, you know that on Sundays, servers are not exactly excited to have us leave the church with our suits and ties and our Bibles in our hands and go to the restaurant. Because we don't normally tip that well, and we aren't very nice sometimes. But here it says, let our speech always be gracious. That's going to be something that sets us apart. And that it says, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer people. Paul encourages us to let our speech always be gracious. Obviously, what does the word gracious mean? It means to have grace, to bestow grace favor, to benefit somebody else, to benefit the hearer. One of the most convincing reasons that you can give someone to follow Jesus is how Jesus has changed and benefited your life. Talking about God's grace. And sure, you could talk about, you know, apologetics and facts and all those things, but the greatest evidence for the gospel is a changed life. I'm telling people how Jesus changed me. What better way to benefit someone than to talk about the goodness of God? And then it says to let your speech be flavored and seasoned with salt. Now, this is a far far cry from being a salty, ornery dog, right? uh, N.T. Wright says this. He says, Christians are to work at making their witness interesting lively and colorful and at the same time to ensure that they have thoroughly mastered the rudiments of their faith so that you might know how to answer everyone this is a challenge to us to uh, uh, let our speech be uplifting and to allow uh, the goodness of God to come through so that it might be enticing. And yes, you need to know the rudiments of your faith. You need to know about the cross and the resurrection and about the, the Bible and about Jesus and about sin. And be ready to answer. And tell them how God has changed you and helped you and ask for wisdom, uh, wisdom and discernment and the Holy Spirit's leading on how to talk to people about Jesus. Every single follower of Jesus ought to know how to tell people about Jesus and to tell people what makes him so special to you. Taylor Swift has somewhere around 330 million followers if you add up all the social media platforms. And whether or not you think that really... Is an indication of anybody actually following you. But Jesus today has 2.3 billion people that have fashioned their lives around him. People that are following him, a third of the living population today. And that's 2,000 years after his time on this earth. I don't, you know, you might think Taylor Swift is really awesome, but I don't know if she's gonna last for 2,000 years. And Jesus only lived 33 years on this earth. Taylor Swift fans never shut up about her, but many of Jesus' followers don't talk about him. They don't tell people about Jesus. But the command is clear for us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And there's still over a billion people in the world today that haven't heard of Jesus. We must be goers. During the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever preached preached by jesus and and right after the beatitudes those things that say like blessed are the merciful blessed are the peacemakers blessed are the pure in heart right after all these beatitudes these blessings right after this jesus says this in matthew five thirteen. he says you are the salt of the earth But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Christians are supposed to look different. They're supposed to act different. These beatitudes are weird, and normal people don't act these ways. These are backwards when we look at culture. But don't lose that. That's your flavor. That's what makes you different. And a church that just acts like the world is useless. And you might say, well, yeah, that's why we shouldn't dress like the world. And and look, that might be true. But Jesus gave us here, what he's talking about is a bunch of counter-cultural attitudes. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Rejoicing in persecution. Being peacemakers. This is the flavor. This is the spiritual saltiness that we need. See, it's less about sticking out with how you dress and more about sticking out with how you live. This world is angry and bitter and unforgiving. Is the church any different than that? Have we lost our flavor? What makes us special? The world is divided and negative and accusatory. Is the church any different than that? Have we lost our saltiness? Are we characterized by gentleness and grace? The world is hurtful and passive aggressive and snide. Is the church any different than that? When people see us, do they see Jesus? Here, Paul tells us to pray for opportunities to tell people about Jesus and to have gracious speak uh, speech that is seasoned with salt. We're not called to be salty dogs. But we have a big challenge ahead of us because those that have heard of Christians, they don't necessarily have a good taste in their mouth about them. The Barna Research Group has found that 49% of unchurched people describe modern Christianity as hypocritical and 48% of unchurched people described it as judgmental. Judgmental and hypocritical are not good words to describe Jesus, and they shouldn't be words that describe us either. So are we holding people that don't follow Jesus up to a standard that we ourselves don't keep or that we don't uh, hold people up in the church to? Are we bringing down judgment on people like we are Judge Judy when we have a beam in our eye? And it's good to warn people about how their actions are hurting them, but it's not good to write people off without a path towards repentance and redemption. Love and encouragement should characterize our warnings. Followers of Jesus are supposed to be different. And they were in the early church. Even secular writers would talk about how much they cared about widows and orphans when no one else did. How they stood up. For those that were hungry and those that were being abused and those that were being uh, persecuted. They loved their enemies and they, they were righteous in the face of persecution. They were starkly different. And now because of that, they, and because they told people about Jesus and he was the reason why they were different. And why they were seasoned with grace and salt. Because of that, a third of the world today are Jesus followers. It, be, it was because they were different. And if the Holy Spirit is working in your life, you will be unnaturally different as well. Galatians 5.22 tells us the proof of that. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces. Oh, Pastor Phil, you mean I'm supposed to like try really hard and get really frustrated when it doesn't work? No, it says the Holy Spirit produces produces. God does this in us and through us. When we surrender to him, when we fellowship and have a relationship with him, and we spend time with him, says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A church that looks like this stands out against the backdrop of a dark and brutal world. Love in a world of hate. Joy in a world of sorrow. Peace in a world of worry. Patience in a world of busyness and impatience. Kindness in a world of cruelty. Goodness in a world of corruption. Faithfulness in a world of inconsistency gentleness in a world of harshness, and self-control in a world of impulsiveness. A Jesus follower that through the Holy Spirit produces these qualities wouldn't have a hard time talking about Jesus. People would ask them what made them different. Now, not everyone would agree with them, not everyone would like them, but people would admire these qualities in them because they looked like Jesus, the greatest person who ever lived our Savior, and our Rescuer. This is our flavor. This is how we are salty spiritually. When people see you and how you act in the workplace and how you treat your family and how you act online, when people see you, do they see Jesus? Let's real quick highlight one aspect of culture and see how we can be different. If you've been paying attention at all for the last few years, you know that everyone seems so angry today. And they start with that. They start off 100 miles an hour. They don't start with asking questions. They start with judgments. I can't believe you. You're just like this. I knew you'd say that. Instead of asking for more information or chasing the truth, we have a tendency to start with accusations. We come in 100 miles an hour and say, you did this and you did that, instead of gracefully asking for more information. And we haven't learned that anger makes things worse. Anger is not a superpower. And yes, people might listen to you, but people don't want to follow an angry person. And yeah, you might look at the Bible and take a couple context, uh, or a couple pieces of Scripture out of context and say, well, Jesus was angry a couple times in his life, but it was not because he was mistreated, or he was disrespected, or he was slighted. There is a time for righteous anger. That's when innocent people are being taken advantage of. That's when Jesus flipped tables, when others were being mistreated. But righteous anger, that's being angry at the things that make God angry. But if being angry is your personality, then you're not living in God's will. And angry people don't look like Jesus. And you're hurting yourself and you're hurting those around you. Proverbs sixteen thirty-two says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. When we're looking for leaders in our life, anger shouldn't be what characterizes them. No one should want to follow an angry person. Why? Because James 1.20 tells us, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You might think that your anger will fix things, but most of the time it destroys because your type of anger is about you and making your agenda happen and pushing forward your motive. Anger is a disease that will infect your marriage, it will affect your relationship with your kids, it will affect your friendships and your job. Gentleness is the answer. Philippians 4 5 tells us to let our gentleness be evident to all. Everybody around you ought to look at your life because of the working of the Holy Spirit and say, that person is gentle when other people are angry and harsh. You might think your anger will fix things, but most of the time it destroys. Now, it doesn't mean we don't have hard conversations. It means that we're gentle and we're as gentle as we possibly can be. Why? Because Proverbs eighteen twenty one tells us that death and life are in the power of our tongue. And whether we bring life or death with our tongue, we will uh, eat of its fruits. We will find the consequences of that. And gentleness is just one of the fruits of the spirit that Jesus followers could produce that would change how the world thinks about the church. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt. A gentle person will have more fruitful gospel conversations. So when people see you, do they see Jesus? We don't need more salty dogs in the church, right? Ornery people that are crotchety and crabby and curmudgeons. We don't need more people with spiritual scurvy. We need gracious people that are flavored with the Holy Spirit to produce the fruits of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. This is how we reach our community. This is how we give hope where there is no hope. We show how Jesus makes us different and we tell of his mighty works in our lives and how he makes our lives better and he walks beside us and he is our friend's. statistically when the world thinks of you they are likely to think of a judgmental hypocrite how can you change their mind that doesn't mean that we let go of all the things in god's word that we need to stand on it means that we have grace and it means that we are slow to anger and it means that we are gentle and we don't react the bible calls that turning the other cheek we act like jesus so pray for wisdom And pray for opportunities and and pray for the Holy Spirit to guide you, to help you to be gracious when it doesn't make sense and to flavor your speech in such a way that attracts people to Jesus. God made you to be different than the world. Not so much in your style or whether you're hip or not, but with how you carry yourself, your attitudes. Be different. Going is a command. If you're a follower of Jesus, he has sent you out into the world to start gospel conversations. And in order to be obedient to the message that God gave us, you have to start conversations about Jesus. But not just telling, acting out the gospel in our lives. Allowing the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us and spending time with him so that he might produce those fruits in us. When people see you. Do they see Jesus? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Producing of these fruits of the Holy Spirit has not always been a thing that the church has always done a great job at. Obviously, some people have, have always, you know, there are, are people that have always lived these out, and, but more than often, it, it's those people that are not the norm in a church. You hear often of churches splitting or business meetings going awry and people screaming at each other over silly things. Church ought not to be like that. Why? Because that's exactly the way the world acts. We're reflecting the world instead of reflecting Jesus to the world. We are called to be gracious, having our speech seasoned with salt, to be different, to bring a different flavor. These fruits of the Spirit. You might look at this list of things and say, man, I don't know if I can do that. I'm not a very loving person. I'm not a gentle person. I'm not a patient person. Yeah, absolutely. None of us are those things. We're, We're sinners. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is nothing good in us. So you have to daily rely on him. You need to start your day off saying, God, I am not these things. I need you to be these things through me. you might say well some of these things i'll never be that's not how it works if we are living surrendered to the holy spirit these things will pop up an apple tree doesn't have to try to produce apples when it's healthy it produces fruit and if your spiritual walk is healthy it will produce fruit We could be a church that is characterized as we go out into the community with these things and be different. We could change Harrison County. And many of you already are. Many of you are going and doing things that other people see and they're like, man, that doesn't make sense. And people tell us often about it and they'll say, hey, one of your church members did this and it was was just amazing. And I don't know why they did it. I don't always say it, but I know on the inside I say, oh, yeah. It's because they love Jesus. As we go, we got to go. we got to tell. We've got to have Jesus' conversations. But we've got to produce these fruits because this is what flavors these conversations. As we continue to pray and allow God to speak to our heart about whatever he may have brought up, I want to talk to a few of you in the room today maybe that don't know for sure that you are a follower of jesus yet see there's a start to that relationship we're all made by god but there's a time in our lives a moment where we make a decision see way back in the beginning of time sin flooded the world because god gave us a free will to choose his way or our way and And over and over again, we have chosen our way, and that has caused pain and disease and sorrow and death and war. And that has pushed a wedge between us and our Creator. But God always had a plan from the beginning of time that one would come to bring us back to Him. And he sent prophets to call us back to him in the Old Testament. And he provided a temple that we could go to to be with his presence. But it was always working towards someone, the Messiah. The Old Testament didn't quite know that it was going to be God in the flesh, that God himself would be born of a virgin and live a life on this earth and to preach and to do miracles and to lay down his life never having sinned the only innocent person to ever live his name was jesus and he laid down his life on a cross and he allowed himself to be killed and on that cross he said it is finished what was finished that work from the beginning of time, this plan that God had in place to provide a way for you to get to Him. All throughout the Old Testament, they believed forward that this Messiah would come and save them. And now we look back at Jesus and see that He did. And you've got a choice in your life. God allows you to choose to do things your way, And to pay the price of your own sin for yourself. It's not a good choice, though. Because Jesus made a way for us to be completely forgiven of every wrong that we had ever done. And to avoid that punishment of a separation from God in a place called hell. And also to have a vibrant and loving relationship with him in this life. And you could call out to God right now. See, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no amount of good works that you have to do. No amount of uh, giving money or being a church member or or any of those extra things that are good, but we add them on. They They don't play a part in this thing that we call salvation. Being born again, coming to Christ, accepting Jesus as your Savior. Jesus paid it all. And you can put your faith and trust in Jesus right now. Realizing that you're a sinner. And that you need a savior. And that Jesus paid that price for you. You could call out to him in this moment. The words aren't important. But it's a genuineness. Of letting go of all the things that you hold on to. That you believe make you a good person. Letting go of your sin. Saying, Jesus, I put my faith in what you did on the cross. You don't have to clean yourself up. We just saw how we can't even produce fruits without Him. You put your faith in Him, and Him alone to do the saving. Won't you make that choice today, once and for all? Call on Him and say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I know because of my sin that I deserve hell. But God, forgive me. I'm turning from all my sin, everything that I hold on to, and I'm turning to you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. If you make that choice today, I'd love to be able to follow up with you and to have more conversations about what this means because it's the beginning of the most amazing relationship you'll ever have in your life and i want to encourage you when you turn in your connection card write that down on your connection card i choose jesus Heavenly father god we know these things that we talked about today we've we know that we need to be different as christians God, it's so hard. God, help us to surrender and to give it over to you. Help us to really, truly believe that we need you for every moment of our lives to be able to be who you made us to be. Help us to spend time with you through prayer, in your word, in living in community with other Christians that will exhort us and push us towards you help us to be salty spiritually, God. Help us to flavor this community with these fruits of the Spirit, these things that look like you. In your name we pray.